Good morning, True Life. Go ahead and take a seat after you finish talking to your buddy. So glad to see everybody today. As Sarah said, we're in a new series today. The series is called Issues, um, and we're preaching through different issues as the Psalms address them. So that's what the series, we're really excited about it. So uh, my son is, how old is he now? Eight weeks. He's eight weeks old, and when something's wrong, he's got one tool in his tool belt to tell us, right? He cries. That's all he knows how to do. He's eight weeks old. When something's wrong, maybe he's hungry. Maybe I, I dropped my phone on his knee like I did the other night. He's okay, though. Don't worry. You can go ask him. Um, it was only like 12 inches. But, um, but he cries, right? When he, sometimes it's like kind of a lazy cry. When he wakes up, he's kind of hungry, and it's kind of like a baby goat, you know, just meh, like it's really weak. But then other times, like the other day, when I dropped my phone on his knee, he took this big breath, you know, the big explosion cry where it doesn't happen right away, and they take this big breath, and their face just contorts like their life's about to end, and you're just watching, waiting for it to explode, and then it, it just explodes out. It's, it's a thing. It, believe me, it's a thing. Um, he doesn't, he's only got a few ways to communicate and to handle some of the stuff that he goes through as suffering, but we as adults are different. You see, we as adults, yeah, we can cry in response to our suffering, and some of us do that very well, myself included. But we have a lot of other ways that we deal with and respond to our suffering. Um, some ways are productive. Maybe some ways aren't so productive. Some ways bless us, and other ways make it harder. Um, my wife and I were going through a, a really ugly, hard season of suffering a couple years ago, and... Um, in response to the suffering, I was overeating. <laughs> I gained like 15 pounds in like a month, and my wife was undereating. She lost 15 pounds in like a month. We were, that's how we were both responding to our suffering. And I was literally eating everything in sight, but my wife wasn't eating because she was stressed. And on one day, I was like, hey, babe, you know, you, we just got to get something in your stomach, have you keep it down. So where do you want to go? Where do you want to? We can go wherever you want tonight. Where do you want to go eat? And she was like, okay. Um, Let's go to Jamba Juice. I was like, okay. It really doesn't matter for me because I'm going to eat everything in front of me and, and the plate and the napkins too. So <clears throat> she was like, okay, let's go to Jamba Juice. I'm really down for that. So we went, got the Jamba Juice. I ate the Jamba Juice. She eats, eats her Jamba Juice. And about 15 minutes later, we're driving in the car, and she just ralphs it all up onto the ground in the middle of the car. And then I saw the cup, and then I ate the cup. <laughs> um, it was quite a pathetic moment for the Bailey family. Um, but that's how we both responded to our suffering, my wife with nausea and just a lot of stress, and myself with comfort eating. And, you know, for better or for worse, that was how we responded to it. Two very, very different ways. And here's the thing. Um, whether you're a Christian or not, how we respond to suffering makes a huge difference. Right? When we ask ourselves the question, what should we do when we suffer? Because, hear me, not every way that you choose and respond is going to give you life. Not every way is going to give you hope when we're talking about how do we respond to suffering. Different, different decisions and even different responses that even we just reflexively do, like my wife. I don't want to give her too much crap for throwing up. It's just a nauseous thing. Me, on the other hand, I was just losing self-control. So, like, but there's a lot of different ways, right? There's a lot of different ways, and not everything will give us life. So it's a really important question to ask because it's going to affect, are we going to have perseverance and longevity? Are we going to be given life, or are we going to hurt 
our situation. We're going to make it harder, right? It's really an important question to ask, no matter where we sit from a worldview perspective. And so let me just say, too, if, if you're here today and, and you're in, in deep pain, I just want to invite you in today to hear God's word from Psalm 42. I want to invite you in to hear what he says and let him comfort you. And if maybe you're not suffering today, there's some important application for you here as well. Um, so just a few words about the Psalms before we jump in here. A lot of the Bible is God speaking to man, right? A lot of the Bible, like the words of Jesus, God incarnate, here he is, speaking to us, the gospel writers recording that. The, the law of Moses, where God's like, hey Moses, say this. The prophets, where they're like, thus saith the Lord. A lot of the Bible is God's word to man, right? But the Psalms is mankind's word to God. And so it's cool, it's unique in that way. But it's, at the same time, even though it's mankind's words to God, it's still the inspired word of God. It's still a canonized scripture that we believe as Christians is inspired by God, which is kind of crazy because it's God inspiring people to respond to him. And so today we're going to look at what Psalm 42 has uh, to say about that in regards to what should we do when we suffer? Because this is going to happen. It's like, it's, it's going to happen in our lives. So let's read it today. We're in Psalm 42. This is in the CSB version. I'm just going to have it up here on the screen. As a deer longs for flowing streams... So I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. This is, this, those places are outside of the traditional boundaries of Israel. So the psalmist is at the time, he appears to be away from Judaism, away from home. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. So there's some things happening to the psalmist, right? I mean, look at the beginning. My, my tears have been my food day and night. This guy's not eating. And he's crying all day and into the night. If you've ever had a time in your life where you're in that much pain and suffering, it's exhausting. You sleep for like 12, 13 hours. And all you, you didn't even go on a walk that day, but you're totally spent. The psalmist is in some kind of deep despair and suffering. And he's crying out 
to God. That's the context that we find ourselves here. So, and there's a lot of things that kind of happen to them. So this first question that we ask, what are the things that might happen when we suffer? So here's the first thing that we see. Voices question us. Look at verses, uh, this is both 3 and 10. My adversaries taught me, this is from 10 right here. My adversaries taught me, they say to me, where is your God? Sometimes when we suffer, there's external voices that come in. And they question us, and they question God, leading us down certain paths. This is what the psalmist is experiencing. Um, so maybe this is something that you've experienced when you've been going through something. People have come in, and maybe they, maybe like the friends from the story Job, right? In the, in the long book of Job, it's a whole book about suffering. I think it's like 40 chapters. And his friends come in and ask him all these questions. They, they say stuff like, it's, it's got to be you, bro. You did something to deserve this from God. And they turn out to be wrong. And maybe that's something that you've experienced. Maybe you've gone through suffering. And sure, sometimes we suffer because of sin. But a lot of times, it has nothing to do with our sin specifically in that moment. Sure, the brokenness of the world. But a lot of times, you're doing good and you suffer. And sometimes those questions from external voices can just really rip you down. External voices come in when we suffer. And we can be vulnerable in these moments. Maybe it's not external. Maybe it's an internal voice. Because look, it says the adversary right? My adversaries taunt me. We don't know much about these adversaries. Maybe sometimes it's people talking to us. But the Bible talks about another adversary, too. Because remember, the Bible talks all about our spiritual reality. The Bible says that Satan is real, and his demons are real. And you know what it says about him? It says that he's roaming around like a lion looking to devour us. And sometimes that voice is internal, and it's the enemy speaking to us in our suffering, trying to make use of the moment, questioning things about God. Hey, remember that God that you thought was good? Look at what you're going through right now, because this means he's either not good or he's not there. These are the words of the enemy in our heads. Where is your God now? the enemy might taunt us. This is a real thing that happens, and it happens in suffering when we're vulnerable. We need to be aware of this because it's, if we're not aware of it, then we can't properly be prepared for it, right? An internal voice, sometimes it tells us that we're worthless. This is why this is happening to you, because you have no worth. It's the, it can be the voice of the enemy, and it's internal a lot of times. Sometimes it's external. These are some of the voices that we experience. But look, that's not, there's another question that happens here when we ask what are the things that might happen when we suffer. This is the psalmist himself. Why have you forgotten me? He calls out to God. But this, this is a little different. This is not an adversary taunting us or questioning us. This is the psalmist calling out. The inspired word of God showing us how to be vulnerable to God, asking questions of God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later and how we know that this is something that the psalmist is leading us in. But sometimes it's us that questions God. God, why is this happening to me? Did I do something? God, where are you? These are the questions that we ask sometimes when we're in pain, trying to figure out what's going on, what should we do? We ask questions of God. Sometimes in a right way, and sometimes in a not productive way, right? 
What are the things that might happen when we suffer? Voices question us. Here's the second one, is we get overwhelmed. Sometimes suffering is just completely overwhelming for us. This is perhaps the most po poetic part in the Psalms. And again, the Psalms are poetry and music lyrics. In fact, the word, the Hebrew word psalm, is <clears throat> a song sung to stringed instruments. That's kind of the implication of the, of the Hebrew word psalm. That's what this is. And so look at how poetic this is. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. This is the psalmist crying out to God, and he feels underwater. Look, the Bible actually uses water and this kind of like being overcome by water and flood as, this, as a metaphor in a lot of different books for suffering. It happens in Exodus, like the way the Israelites come through the water and they all think they're going to die, right? It happens in Job, it happens in Psalms, it happens in Isaiah, it happens all over the place. This metaphor of being overcome underwater, perhaps because sometimes suffering can feel like you're drowning. It's a kind of a really accurate depiction sometimes when you're going through something. Sometimes when you're going through something, you can't even breathe like you're underwater. You can't even breathe. You can't see anything. You're getting tossed around like a rag doll. And that's why the Bible describes it this way. And, you know, there's probably a lot of you that have a, uh, this one time I almost drowned story. <laughs> um, I, here's mine, right? This one time I almost drowned. Um, so I used to live in Australia and, uh, for like eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, and uh, on the on the east coast in Sydney, and there, were, you know, all my friends were surfers, and they were good, and I was bad, <laughs> right? Because I had just moved there, and uh, one day they all they're like, "Oh, the waves are going to be huge today. It's going to be sick, bro. We're going to go out." And I was like, "Okay." We went out, and it's what's called double overhead. So for those of you who have never surfed, double overhead means it's it basically means it's like twice the wave size is twice over your head, about twelve feet. <laughs> which is like a little higher than a basketball hoop, right? So imagine waves 12 feet. I'm 16, okay? And I get out there on the board, and I'm paddling out, and I'm like, nope, and I turn right back around and swim back in. But I was like, well, you know, I don't want to look like a pansy, so maybe I'll just swim around. So I ditch my board, and I go out there, and I start swimming. I get stuck in this thing called a rip current. When the wave hits the, hits the, the beach and then pulls back, it pulls back in certain sections of the beach, right? And so I just get sucked out into 12-foot waves. And I get sucked out, and I can swim, but like not in 12-foot waves, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm fighting this thing, because I don't know how to swim out of a rip current. I'm fighting this thing. And it only takes about 15 minutes before I'm completely gassed. Nothing left. Because if you've ever been to like a beach, and kind of just been hanging out in the waves, sometimes you get sucked into the undertow and just get washing machined, for those of you who have had this experience. It's literally like crawling into your washing machine, hitting high, and start. That's what it's like, okay? It's horrible. And I'm getting absolutely annihilated by these 12-foot waves. And I lose all my energy. I, like, I'm burning so much energy trying to stay up that I just, eventually I just stop because I don't have anything left. And that's probably the only time in my life where I was like, wow, I guess this is it. That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> I thought I was going to make it past 16. And I'm like sitting there treading water. I mean, and then I just stop because i got nothing left. And 12-footers are just tossing me. And I was really sad because I was like, I don't, there's no way out of this. <laughs> Literally no way out of this, because when you get in a fight with the Pacific Ocean, you lose, okay? 
And, and then, by the grace of God, a guy paddles out, sees me. I don't even have the strength to call out to him. I'm just kind of like floating there, looking at him. And he looks at me. And then he drags me. I, don't even, I can't even climb onto his board. I'm so done. Because, you know, when you're fighting for your life, you're putting everything you got on the line, bro. It's all getting left on the court, okay? And he drags me onto his board and then, and then takes me in and literally drags me up the beach and just drops me. And I was like, oh, God of my salvation. <laughs> I can't believe you delivered me. It, that was probably the only time that I thought I was going to die. And, you know, it was like drowning, completely overcome. Suffering is like this. Or maybe you lose all hope. Can't see, can't even breathe. Suffering is like the way the psalmist describes it here. Um, but what's interesting about this, actually, let me go back here. Look who gets credit here. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The psalmist is acknowledging God's sovereignty in his suffering, only in this part of the psalm. Perhaps at the deepest, most overwhelming place where he's most overcome. Because sometimes it's only in these moments in our life where we realize we don't actually have as much control as we thought we did. Sometimes it's only in these moments in our lives where we say, oh, God, I guess you are the one who writes my every step. I guess it is up to you. I guess I am in the palm of your hands. And it's just so fitting that this is the part where he acknowledges that, where he's most overcome when he acknowledges God is sovereign over, he's king over everything in his life. And sometimes it's these times where we learn that about reality. Sometimes it's only in the pit of agony that we come to understand that about our God, that he's sovereign over everything. And he's our deliverer. So, what are the things that might happen when we suffer? Voices question us. We get overwhelmed. Here's the last one. We can lose hope. You're like, oh, another one. Yeah, this is the last one. Don't worry. We can lose hope. Look at what he says here. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? He's talking to himself and his soul. Like the NASB, this word dejected, there's a lot of different English versions render that word a different way. Sometimes it's cast down. The NASB renders it as a despair. Sometimes you just despair and lose all hope because you can't see what's next. You can't see anything in your future. Sometimes this is where suffering takes us, where we can't breathe, we can't see, and we don't know what to do. So the psalmist is laying bare his soul in this. He's being so honest to us and before God. And what's amazing about this is that it shows us God knows. Because remember, this is the inspired word of God. And God literally inspired this psalmist to speak this way. Because he knows. And in fact, he, he, it's more than just he knows. He gives us a path to speak. He, he gives us help on how to express what we're feeling. This is the God of the Bible. This is the Psalms. And this is what the psalmist in Psalm 42 is one of the things that he's doing. It's pretty amazing. Um, there's a song by the band Beautiful Eulogy. I think it's a song called Anchor, where, where he says, at some point every human looks right into the eyes of agony and asks himself, through tragedy, how could this happen to me? All of us will face that at some point in our life. And the God of the Bible knows that. 
And he's made a space for us to call out to him, like the psalmist. Okay? But, of course, suffering is not the end. Suffering is not the only thing in this psalm. So the next question we ask is, how should we respond to suffering? What's the psalmist do? Right? Look, before the psalmist, before we even know what the psalm's about, maybe you never read this psalm before, before we even know what it's about, he's seeking God's presence. Look at the first couple verses. So I long for you, God. I thirst for God. When can I come and appear before God? In the midst of his suffering, he's longing for his father. He's longing for his presence. This is the first thing that the psalmist does in response to his suffering. Look at, this, look at verse 4. As I pour out my heart, he's so vulnerable before God, telling him exactly what he's going through. Pouring, literally pouring out his, his heart before God. He's honest, but it's honoring. Like sometimes when we're in suffering and we're angry, sometimes we say things that we shouldn't. Sometimes we profane and blaspheme people, ourselves, and dishonor ourselves and God in the way that we call out. But the psalmist here is, is showing us how to do this, showing us how to be productive. It's like, it's, like, it's like there's a bowling lane with bumpers on it, right? Maybe some of you all, I love doing this when I go bowling. I love getting on a bowling lane with bumpers and then going over to the kids section, picking up like a five-pounder, and then just walking up and just launching that thing and go, 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 down the thing. And it doesn't even matter how accurate you are because you can just launch it. It's so cathartic, right? And then I get a protein shake afterwards. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I am the only person I've ever seen do that, yes, okay? Um, but it's, it's helpful because the psalmist isn't just saying whatever. He's crying out to God while still acknowledging that he's the author of life. While still acknowledging that he's king and honoring him in that regard. He's pouring out his heart in a way that honors God because sometimes we can sin against ourselves and against God by not doing that. And he shows us how. He shows us how. How should we respond in our suffering? By seeking God's presence, pouring out our heart. Look at this. His song will be with me in the night. This man is literally singing to God. This man is singing to God in his suffering, calling out to him, pouring out his heart. It's night, and he's singing to his father. Here's the next thing. He remembers and he declares truth about God. This is how we should respond in our suffering. Look at verse 4. I remember this, he says in the midst of his suffering. He's remembering things. He's, in this case, it's his community and the thankful procession where they're worshiping God together. He's, he's remembering things. Look at this next one, verse 8. This is right after the, the your waves, your breakers, waterfalls verse. Right after that, he says, The Lord will send his faithful love by day. He weaves in what he knows to be true about God with his lament. As he's crying day and night, not eating, which is not a common place to be in from a suffering standpoint. It's pretty rare. In the worst of it, he's declaring what's true about God. The Lord will send his faithful love by day, probably through tears. He says that. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock. Look at how awesome this is. After the 
unhinged, floating-in-the-ocean imagery that he says. Then he says, but God, you're my rock. You're how I'm stabilized. You're the one who's faithful to me day in and day out. This man is good, right? I will say to God, my rock, that's in verse 9. This is, and then what's the next thing he says? Why have you forgotten me? The very next thing is he's asking God questions. He's woven it in. This is a prayer. He's talking to God in his suffering. And he invites us to do the same. He invites us to do the same. How should we respond to our suffering? Seeking God's presence. Remembering things about him and what he's done. And declaring what's true about him. Here's the last one. This is that double refrain, verse 5 and 11. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. He calls himself to hope in God, his Savior. But look, the Bible, one of the things that the Bible calls Jesus is the hope of glory. That's one of the things that the Bible calls Jesus. The hope of glory. You know what's interesting about Jesus is when he's on the cross, literally as he's dying, he calls out a question to God. He calls out a question to him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what that is? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus, with the psalmist, is calling out to his God in solidarity with us, knowing what we go through and inviting us to call out to him and his Father. He himself does that. But look, Jesus knows the answer to that question. Jesus didn't call out, why, my God, my God, have you forsaken me, actually wondering why. He went there willingly. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, Hebrews says. He went there willingly. And yet he calls it out because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Psalms. Everything in Psalm 42, Jesus experienced and fulfilled. He, he took on the oppression of his enemies, completely underwater in pain and agony, took on the judgment of God so that he could take us back, so that he could make payment for us and be with us in eternity. He knows why he went to the cross but he's the fulfillment of Psalm 42. This is our Lord. Jesus loves us. So when we ask the question, how should we respond to our suffering? This is a call. When we look at this psalm and we look back here where he's calling himself to hope in God, this for us, this is hoping in Jesus because that's who the psalms point to, our Lord. To hope in Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the psalms. These are important for us Um, How should we respond to God in our suffering? Seeking God's presence? Um, Declaring and remembering truth about him? And calling ourselves to hope in the Lord Jesus, who will one day wipe away every tear. This is what the psalmist leads us in. This is what he leads us in. So, what can help us hope in Jesus? The psalmist gives us some really clear ways. What can help uh, us hope in Jesus? Look at verse 4. I love this one. I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God. 
with joyful and thankful shouts. In the middle of his suffering, what's he remembering? He's remembering his community of faith. That's what he remembers. In the, in the moment where he's taking joy in his suffering, he remembers the people of God and when he was with them. So what can help us hope in Jesus walking with a community of faith? This needs to be a priority for us. The psalmist finds so much peace in this when he remembers the way that he and the other people of God delighted in God. You see, it's our community that can support us. It's our community that can remind us when we're calling out to God, questioning why. Our community can help us to do that. And doing it in isolation, let me tell you right now, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same, and you're much more vulnerable. You're much more vulnerable. You know, we do these things at True Life called LTGs, Life Transformation Groups they stand for, between three to five people that meet underneath our, within our community groups, right? I mean, you think we do LTGs here just to fill up the week? <laughs> no, we do that because that's a space that we have intentionally tried to create, like with the psalmist, where we share with one another where we're vulnerable with one another, we're confessing to one another, reminding and counseling one another about the truth of the gospel and where our hope lies, giving wisdom to one another. How should I navigate this? This is one of the things that, like, because of places like Psalm 42, this is why community is such an important value for us. Because in suffering, people can find support. But look, those of us who maybe aren't suffering right now, now you can see yourself in the story. Now we've kindly finally found ourselves for those of us who aren't suffering maybe right now. Because you see, God has called those who aren't suffering to help those who are. That's the heart of God, to help and comfort those who are in suffering. Now, and so my question to us is this, as we think about this way that we can do this in our lives. My question to us is this, are you prepared to do that? Do you know how to do that? How to support somebody in suffering? Because look, probably a lot of us have had that one time where we've been going through something and somebody came up to us and we're like, hey dude, I, I'm going through this really hard thing at work and my boss is doing this and the person was like, oh yeah, that's like that one episode of The Office. <laughs> and you're like, what? No. No. You are not helpful. <laughs> like people sometimes, well, sometimes we're tempted when we're sitting with people that are suffering to just assume and just jump in. That's because of this, like Job's friends. But we need to learn how to sit and listen and forbear with those who suffer and just wait for them. Let them call out to God and be there for them. Do you know how to do that? Have you been writing the truth of God on your heart so that when your time comes, you can help? Because this matters a lot. You can change people's lives by doing this. Well, like with the psalmist, helping people call out to God in a productive way, bearing their soul, pouring everything out, and then when the time comes, speaking truth and maybe some wisdom when the time comes. Do you know how to do that? Because it's so important. What, what is a community that does this look like? Think about it. Even people that aren't Christians... Maybe God wants to send you to somebody who's hurting, even outside of the family of faith, who's hurting and going through pain, and God wants to use you to comfort them 
because God cares about them. Are you prepared? Do you know how to do this? Are you practicing now? Are you practicing with sufferers and going to them and caring for them now? When you're going through your own suffering, are you pouring out your heart before God in sheer vulnerability? Are you singing to him? Because God wants to use you to comfort people. God wants to use you to bring his message of hope to the hurting. Because that's the heart of the God that we worship. That's the heart of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Psalms, who went to the cross for the joy that was set before him because he could reconcile us back to him. His desires for us, and he wants to use you to do the same. So, what should we do when we suffer? When external voices are questioning us, when the voice of the enemy is sneaking in and trying to lie to us, when we're completely overwhelmed, underwater, can't breathe, when we're losing hope and despairing, what should we do? The psalmist leads us to seek God's presence, to call out to him, to sing to him, to question and to bear our souls to him. The psalmist calls us to remember and to sit and remember the truth about God. Declare it, say it with your mouth, say it out loud like the psalmist does. And to hope in Jesus because he is the answer, capital T, capital A. He's the one that will take suffering away one day. This is his promise to us, but he wants to use us now and he wants to comfort us now. And that's why things like Psalm 42 are in the Bible because God knows what we go through and he wants to lead us in the path to restoration. He thought about it. The Bible is filled. I mean, we could go through tons of psalms like this. There's entire books in the Bible dedicated to suffering. God knows and cares about the smallest of hurt. And he didn't create the world that way. That's why he's going to restore it. And that's why his kingdom can be had now. We don't have to wait. So when we take communion... We remember Jesus who suffered, the fulfillment of the Psalms, the one who the Psalms point to. When we take communion, we remember his sacrifice for us, who can empathize, who was beaten and scoffed and mocked all the way to the cross, dying for people that didn't deserve it. But that was a joy that was set before him. And when we take communion, we remember our God who did that, the Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we, uh, oh, we thank you for the way that you put things like Psalm 42 in the Bible. God, this says so much about you. This says so much about you that you inspired people to lament and pour out their hearts before you. And God, we pray for those who are hurting right now. God, we know that they're asking questions. And there's probably confusing things that we don't get. God, we ask that you would restore us. We ask that you would lead us to call out to you. That you would lead us in hoping in your son. That you would lead us to sing to you even through tears.
God, lead us to sing to you in our hurt. And God, teach us to come alongside those who hurt, as you do. God, let us be a part of that. We beg you to teach us to do that well. We beg you to train our hands now so that we can care for the hurting, God, because you care for the hurting and we are your people. God, thank you that this is who you are. Thank you that you are the God of hope and that you will restore and that one day you will wipe away every tear. This is who you are, God. We declare that before you. We acknowledge that before you. We thank you for the way you lead us in Psalm 42. We love you so much. We love you so much, God. Praise in Jesus.